Everyone has their thesis and predictions for what's going to happen in markets in 2023, especially in the crypto market. But very few of them actually use data and critical thinking to come up with those. Most of them, obviously, are people on Twitter saying Bitcoin will go to 3000. Why? Because I, I just emotionally feel like Bitcoin is going to go to 3000. That's how we get most of the predictions that we see. But anyone who follows along with Masari knows that Ryan Selkis puts out a massive thesis at the end of every year, hundreds of pages of ideas based on data from his team on what's likely to happen. Well, Tom Dunleavy, who's today's guest and has been the guest here many times, has his own 25 predictions for 2023, some of which are based on what was written and comes from their team. But there are some, as he says in his threads, notable deviations. Now, if you want to know based on fact what is likely to happen this year, of course, still opinions, then this is the stream that you guys want to watch. Let's go. That's dope. That's dope. What is up, everybody? I am Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and take a nap on the like button. If you're asking why I take a nap on the like button, I'm fresh off of two red-eye flights in three nights. I had to go, unfortunately, to Los Angeles for a funeral. Uh, my best friend's father died, so obviously not the best of circumstances to have had to make that trip. But I did get on a flight at 11 o'clock last night, land, drive two hours, and make it back here within four minutes, literally, of this live stream. Um, what a trip. Last night, uh, I started to get a major skin rash on my face at the airport, and I didn't have a razor, so I had to buy six tiny pink women's razors to shave my face in the uh, men's bathroom. I don't know if you ever tried to use a women's pink razor, which was all they had to shave your face, but each one is good for one stripe before it uh, systematically falters and fails. And so I was walking around the airport trying to find new razors with half a shaved face. It was a really... Really, uh, really enlightening experience. But here we are, and I'm glad to be home, and I'm glad to be here once again with you guys and somehow to not have missed any of the streams this week. Before we get started, of course, sponsored by Prime XPT. Check that out in the description. Now let's get into the meat of what we've got today because it's kind of a lot. Kind of a lot. So I've got our guest today, of course. You guys know, you've seen him. Bring him on right now. Tom Dunleavy from... Masari, who uh, has done a lot of work on trying to figure out what the hell is going to happen in 2023. Tom, how are you, man? Doing well, man. You should uh, you should just grow out the beard. That's kind of how my beard started. I just got lazy, and then six years later, all of a sudden, it's it's here. I, I used to be able to grow a very robust beard, but now it gets to a certain point, and my face, I get like this terrible rash, and I have to immediately shave, or it's a disaster. So I just, I can't be the full beard guy anymore. And uh, people will remember, I used to almost always have facial hair, even when I was doing these live streams. It is what it is. So listen, as I said, uh, Masari, obviously, and Ryan specifically, very somewhat uh, renowned at this point for the end of the year thesis, right? Reviewing uh, what's likely to happen in the year, taking a very honest appraisal at predictions of the past and what, you know, you got right and what you got wrong. 
maybe even uh, uh, put you on the spot. Like, were there any things that you thought would happen in 2022 that you feel like you got glaringly wrong? I wrote a newsletter myself up saying, hey, here were like kind of 10 predictions I made for 2022. Four of them were right. I could say that only half, two of them were really right. And it wasn't great, right? <laughs> yeah, for me personally, um, I don't think I saw any of the systematic blowups or weaknesses uh, as bad as they were. I thought the merge would be much more of a catalyst for institutional adoption and flows into the industry. That obviously um, was not the case, uh, though Bitcoin or though uh, Ethereum is out trading Bitcoin and most other alts outside of Solana at the moment still has not come to pass that that was the um, big entry point for everyone that I thought it would be. But, you know, still positive for the industry. That makes perfect sense. So let's dig in now to 2023. I know that's what people are looking for. You had an incredible Twitter thread. I'm just going to go ahead and share your screen. You got it. And we're literally just going to go through these, right? So this was your personal uh, top 25 predictions for 2023. You shared some charts. As you said, some overlap with Tubit Idiot. That's Ryan Southis, who has the best Twitter name of all time. And our firm-wide thesis, but some notable deviations. Thank you to my awesome colleagues at Masari Crypto researching for shaping many of these. All right, I'm going to let you go ahead and dig in and start, and we can discuss as appropriate. Awesome, we'll do. So yeah, Ryan has a lot of awesome theses. He brainstorms with us as well. So there will be some overlap between his thoughts and my thoughts. Um, but overall, you know, these are sort of where I think things are going, and you know, some notable deviations, as I mentioned. Start off at the top, which um, you know I know everyone's not going to love, but macro still matters right now. We got rapid interest rate increases, removal of liquidity, um, you know, and when that happens, as I'll blow up this chart here. You'll see every time that we've increased rates at any meaningful rate, there's been some sort of crisis all the way back to the 80s, savings and loan, you know, um, tech bubble, emerging market crisis, housing bubble. And uh, the increase that we've done this year in rates is the fastest in history. <clears throat> so it's really hard for me to believe that we're not going to have some sort of new crisis. Big week for that sort of uh, narrative right now. We have CPI tomorrow, as many listeners know. We have earnings seasons kicking off on, on Friday with all the big banks reporting <clears throat> where above trend in uh, earnings estimates across the board, those will have to come down. And if those come down, if we experience a recession, we're going to see a lot of pain in equity markets. And that should feed over at least a little bit into crypto. So my first prediction is we could revisit <clears throat> or approach the lows, which um, you know could be unfortunate, but uh, you know potentially another buying opportunity for a lot of folks. The brighter side of that coin is I think a lot of that will feed into the Fed easing off the brakes. And I'm not the only one to predict this. Zoltan Polizar came out yesterday and said that he actually thinks quantitative easing will happen in the back of the year. I think that's probably a little bit heavy handed. I think that's optimistic, which is, by the way, quantitative easing is bad, but okay, right, right. But for markets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quantitative easing and liquidity for markets are good. Um, you know, if you're thinking about devaluation of the currency, maybe bad. This chart's a little blurry, but you can see this is the correlation between liquidity and stock prices, and it's basically at a one. So more liquidity, more quantitative easing, better markets do. Uh, the, you know, the less liquidity, the more tightening, the worse markets do. The Fed are taking almost $100 billion um, worth of assets out of the markets right now. So obviously that's a negative if you're looking for risk assets. But in the back half of the year, I think that can certainly recede. And hopefully we see sort of, uh, you know, sort of better days and, and brighter skies. Um, so macro side, bad first half, maybe nicer second half. 
And this sort of correlates, if you look uh, long-term at sort of the recessions and, and sort of how things play out um, in terms of timing, um, recessions usually happen kind of six to nine months after you see, um, you know, yield curve inversions, which we just had, that's likely Q1, Q2 recession um, and markets bottom around there. So if we get the bottom of Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 um, with this liquidity backdrop that I mentioned could be very positive um, for markets and for crypto. Um, so, you know, just turning more to, towards actually the things we care about, uh, you know, the assets that we think actually we could provide some alpha and um, interesting analysis on, uh, you know, let's turn to D-PIN first, which is a, a term that Ryan actually uh, coined and is trying to meme into existence. Um, you know, this, these protocols have been called TIPIN or proof of physical work. Um, and what these are, are really just actual um, you know, physical real world infrastructure assets that you're paying token incentives to users to actually uh, spin up the network. So that's wireless networks, computer networks, storage networks. You may have heard of you know, Helium, but there are a, a range of new um, Under, sort of protocols right. that are coming out. The problem with something like Helium was the token incentives. So inflationary token Port rewards. Tokenomics, right. Poor tokenomics, Port, but right. Yeah. Poor tokenomics. They're trying to fix that um, across a range of protocols, and the use case is certainly there. So this is just, um, you know, one of the verticals within uh, decentralized physical infrastructure is compute. So you use excess compute. You have excess compute on your phone, excess compute on your laptop. You're not using um, all the time. You can actually, uh, you know, give that to the network. Um, you know, folks could actually uh, utilize those services. And you can receive a benefit for that. So there's protocols like Render and Akash that are, that are doing things like that um, in that vein. Um, and if you're looking at the market sizing for these things, this is a trillion plus dollar industry. And right now, if you look at all of the centralized physical infrastructure um, tokens in aggregate, you're only looking at $3 billion. So the, the upside there is, is enormous. Uh, you also have some interesting ones like Hive Mapper, which is decentralized Google Maps. Um, Demo, which is sort of like, if you've seen like the progressive, uh, you know, flow, like put the thing in your car, it'll kind of track like how your car is doing. Um, uh, you know, they have one of those. And I guess the natural question would be, why do you want that stuff? If you already have Google Maps and why, if you already have kind of like, uh, you know, these other primitives, like uh, I mentioned with um, progressive, well, Google Maps actually charges many businesses to uh, you know, list their services and provide additional data and information. Um, so there's certainly an advantage there. Additionally, the maps are not as updated um, as many would like. I mean, you know, it takes two, three weeks, sometimes years to update certain services. So if you have an army of people driving around with these little hive mapper things and getting tokens because of it, great, that sort of makes sense. Also, these cars are ridiculously expensive. So you have, you know, Google cars are, you know, whatever, $500,000 a car, you throw this little device in here, 500 bucks, you're earning some tokens, great. That only matters when the tokens actually are worth something. So these things kind of hit flywheels as the bull market increases. So some names to watch there, as I mentioned, HiveMapper, Demo, on the kind of sensor side, on the compute side, Render, Akash, um, also some, some interesting names there.
Perfect. I, I don't want to skip really quick. I know we kind of skipped three, but people are going to love this. It's triggering the way you wrote it. DeFi stops being just Ponzi games. <laughs> and the idea being there that we will see real world assets tokenized and that trend will start to begin, which I think was, you know, tokenize everything has been an ethos or an idea in crypto for a very long time. Yeah, I, I don't want to claim uh, credit for the Maple Finance increase of 65% in the last two days, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was mentioned here. You know, I think, you know, DeFi to date has really just been Ponzi games. And I don't think anyone can really disagree with that after this year. So what are actual things we could do to make DeFi useful and tokenizing and putting real world assets on chain is one of the, the, the biggest and, and, and sort of easiest use cases. The challenge today has been getting um, you know folks on board to actually do that. So you've seen a, a push to do that through Maker and, and sort of others um, with local oh. community banks sort of supporting that as well. Let's keep rolling to number five. Cool. So decentralized social, horrible name. Vitalik made it. He earned the right to make all the horrible names he wanted. Uh, you know, it's really just on-chain identity. So you know that's really potentially going to not only open up um, sort of a range of uh, you know things that you could do with your personal identity online, whether it be in DAOs or, or sort of other mechanisms, but also to me, what I think is really interesting is that is as you start to develop an on-chain reputation, you could just start to become trustworthy and potentially that could help develop a system around under collateralized lending. Right now, most of DeFi is over collateralized. That is really um, not conducive to liquidity. Uh, it constrains the ecosystem. So, you know, going forward, I think this is going to be uh, an enormous trend. You know, right now we have Farcaster, um, we have Lens. Uh, you know, if you look at the daily active users for those, they're really low at the moment. You know, it's 35,000 for Lens, like 3K for Farcaster, but they're still sort of in like beta rolling out mode. And user interfaces for a lot of these, um, once you get your profile, aren't stellar. So one of the investable verticals that I think we'll see emerge throughout the year is really just this identity stack. So it's not only those protocols on top of Lens and Farcaster, but also you know, the protocols that can actually um, you know, build credentials on chain and verify those. So, hey, you, know, you attended this university, great, you know, it's attached to your identity. Um, so, so that's important for under collateralized lending, but it's also important in, in sort of third world countries. One of the biggest problems with education in, in sort of third world countries is like, you know, if you move from one country to another, you may not be able to bring your certificates. You may not, may not be able to say like, I graduated high school, no one will believe you. So putting all that stuff on chain, just another primitive, another example of things that, you know, DeFi or real world use cases for crypto that, um, you know, we really aren't seeing or tapping into today. So big theme there. I think it's going to take a little while to get right, but um, yeah. the groundwork's there. I would also argue that this is sort of the bridge from web two to web three, if you can utilize that identity as your login everywhere and it prevents sort of hacking and the impersonation and all of those things. I know, you know, uh, there's quite a few companies that are working on this. So I agree with you even beyond the lending side that it just is extremely pragmatic to have a single identity that you have secured and known the private keys for and that's it, right? So, yeah. It should be Obviously. simple to, yeah, totally agree. So it should be simple too, if you think about just like signing with Google right now, that's what I use for essentially everything because it's, I know, um, you know, my password's there, it's safe and, you know, it sort of abstracts away the the need for a password for each website. If you just do sign in uh, with Ethereum for everything, if that becomes a primitive, that that's another huge leap and I think is an onboarding event for a lot of people. Okay, number six, Bitcoin, nation, state, central bank, 
buy by one G20 country with Argentina question. I mean, Argentina, obviously, we know that they have a very pro-Bitcoin presidential candidate, a lot of uh, problems with inflation, and but then also a lot of pushback from the IMF. But <laughs> that's a conversation for a different uh, time. So talk about why you think we're going to actually see a central bank buy Bitcoin. Yeah, so this is by noted crypto uh, pumper, Harvard University. So it's you're going to want to take this one with a grain of salt. Um, but they basically wrote a white paper, someone, um, one of the researchers, they wrote a white paper that said, because of a lot of the sanctions this year on treasuries um, around the Russia incident, folks are actually going to start thinking of not only gold, but Bitcoin as a um, you know p- potentially censorship resistant asset for their central bank reserves. Doesn't have to be a lot; just has to be a little bit. And um, you know, I think we start to see at least one country adopt this uh, in the near term. Probably one of those countries on the fringes of the G20, uh, you know, or like Argentina or, or one of the others. I don't, I don't think you're getting a, a eurozone country yet. But it's it's that, it's interesting because the, you know that narrative. Well, we'll go on to number six, of course, which is S and P company. But that narrative with MicroStrategy in August or September of 2020, whatever it is, was really what spiked, sparked the entire last bull market. And then we just never beyond Tesla saw it happen with another company or a huge country. So it's nice to be revisiting that narrative, which is more Bitcoin specific. Yeah. And the, the reason you didn't see that narrative for a lot of companies is the ups, the downside was not commensurate to the upside. Every time you right. took a loss on your Bitcoin position, you had to mark it down because it was an yeah. intangible asset according to um, you know accounting standards. Now you can actually mark the assets up and down. So it becomes a, a little bit of an easier sell to your board or um, you know whoever to hold a portion of your, your treasury in, in Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or the like. Yeah, perfect. I mean, that effectively covers six. So let's move on to seven. TVL on app chains, two X's, Cosmos 2.0 is a hit. Yeah, I think Cosmos is really going to be, um, is sort of set for a big year if they can get Atom 2.0 right. But even if they don't, you know, the out of the box functionality, modularity of Cosmos chains is a great place to start for a lot of ecosystems, especially when they don't need the broader economic security of Ethereum yet and a place to experiment. So I think you could see, um, you know, a movement back and forth between sort of L2s and Cosmos app chains, depending on what you need, the functionality um, you, you need behind the scenes, sort of the communication you need between chains um, and the security you need. So I think, you know, Cosmos TVL right now is sort of hilariously low for what I think is probably the most interesting ecosystem outside of Ethereum that's trying to do something completely different. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of growth there and a lot of uh, a lot of interest there as we go forward. So apparently, in number eight, we're all going to be doing a whole lot of acid. LSD this, bull market. <laughs> yes, let's let's go LSD bull market. Um, we are already tripping to start the year. If you've already looked at uh, prices for Lido and Rocket Pool, they're up a hilarious amount in the past <laughs> two weeks. So um, again, this is a hopefully it stays for the year, but this is a small win uh, so far. Yeah, essentially the the bull case here is you get withdrawals in March for Ethereum, which is most of these liquid liquid staking uh, derivatives uh, revenue. Um, you know, you get yields that are likely to jump in the next bull market as you get transaction fees and MEV routing back to uh, you know sort of these liquid staking tokens. If you look at Ethereum today, it's only like fifteen percent that are staking, and a lot of that is the liquidity risk of hey, I don't know when I can withdraw this stuff. Yeah, so, that's changing uh, with the Shanghai hard fork. So. Exactly. So that's March. So if you look at these other, so on screen here, you'll see um, the other protocols. And this was as of April, but you know, these have only really gone up and you can see, I just crossed out Terra, sad face. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're making the chart. Um, you know, all these other protocols are 50% plus in terms of how much is staked. So if you even approach those numbers for Ethereum, um, you know, Lido gets 10% of revenue for the validators, Rocket Pool gets a percentage. Uh, you know, I think those those are all likely to benefit as you see more stakers um, sort of come into the ecosystem. Cool. So number, uh, where are we? Number nine, uh, options notional dollars exceeds 100 billion a month. This is this actually blew my mind. So um, if you just look at option volume today on it for crypto, it is dominated by Deribit, one player, 92% of volume. Like 90%, yeah, it's crazy. And options volume in equities world is, you know, equal to or higher than spot prices. In crypto world, you have uh, spot uh, volumes being 20x options volumes. So that should that gap should close. And if that gap closes, Deribit's not going to be the winner, um, you know, by itself. Traditional options markets have four major players. So you're likely to see at least a few of these, and this is Ledger X is obviously um, up for grabs at the moment, but you're likely to see a few of these, uh, you know, kind of upstart players and there are a number of them, um, Lira, Dopex, Premium Finance, et cetera, make a run at at least gaining some sort of market share. So uh, definitely a few of those to watch as well. Yeah, the next one is move blockchains provide advantages versus Solidity Rust-based. These garner some interest TVL. Of course, we're talking, you know, largely about Aptos. Uh, I had Mo Shake on last week to talk about that. So for anyone who's not familiar, Move is the programming language effectively that uh, is the residual effect of the Libra and DM project. And uh, many say is much easier to program on, more robust. And I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's effectively the background of it as far as I understand it. Yeah, some developers I've talked to said you can sort of spin up a, uh, a chain in hours versus days. It's very similar to Rust. Um, it also eliminates the uh, bugs, eliminates one of the biggest uh, problems with Solidity, which is reentrancy bugs, and um, provides more flexibility kind of at the base layer. Okay, does that matter? Um, you know, they're improving Solidity, they're improving the EVM potentially, but, um, you know, these funds, and this is the Aptos ecosystem today, which I think a lot of people would be surprised how many, how many things are already sort of blossoming over there. Yeah. But they have an enormous ecosystem fund to incentivize development. If nothing else, I think you know folks will at least explore Aptos, Sui, and others. Whether or not they stay and it becomes sticky is, is another story. Right. Perfect. I, I like number 11 because God knows we need it. At least one AAA quality game launches, but game tokenomics remain a challenge. I think that uh, it's fair to say that crypto gaming has been more of a concept than a reality and that the games that have come out have been, I don't know, early 2000s, late 1990s level, but people have generally played them because there's an economic incentive. But getting an actual game that people want to play that also has that economic incentive could be, for me, certainly a huge driver of the crypto market in general for a very long time to come. Totally agree. And these games take time and we're not patient in crypto. <laughs> so, you know, it's $3 billion were invested in the past two years. Most AAA games take three to five years to come. There are a lot on the docket. I didn't list them all here because of the character limit, but there are, you know, 10, 20, 30 uh, AAA games that are coming in the next, uh, you know, 18 months or so. And the VCs that I've talked to also echo this who are sort of right at the ground level with these things that these games are coming. And if you've played or just give a quick, you know, YouTube search for the Illumium demo, it looks, pretty awesome um so they're just gonna hopefully abstract away a lot of the, the crypto alluvium stuff. is one of the few like very 
sort of sizable bags that I have that I'm just sitting on down however many, you know, uh, multiples uh, since I bought it because I have the same thesis that it won't matter in a few years when it actually launches and, and is winning. So I like that one. Uh, number 12, ETH dominance is cemented and rises to 70% plus. I have some Star Atlas tokens that I have no idea what to do with. So agree. I, I, also, I also have Star Atlas and Polis. And now it's like I, I've kind of made the joke over and over that because uh, FTX went down and Blockfolio was my tracker app that uh, I no longer obsess over my balance and haven't literally, I don't even have a way right now to actively look at my entire portfolio at once. And it's been just heavenly. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, I don't think the tokenomics are going to be solved this year. So just more that there will be a fun game. That That's the, yeah, that's the pitch. Exactly. But we'll see. Um, ETH dominance is going to continue to rise. I think the longer we're in this bear market, the more that we give Ethereum time to actually progress down its roadmap. And all of the challenges you see with Ethereum that exist today, whether it be too expensive, too slow, um, you know, not advanced enough as maybe the new uh, blockchains are, are really going to all go away in the next 18 months. And by the end of 2023, we're likely to see Ethereum just as fast and as cheap as everyone wants it to be with the scaling of kind of L2s and L3s, not even to mention ZK EVMs and all the other improvements you're seeing. So, you know, unless we get out of this bear market and we start hitting sort of a flywheel for a lot of these other alt L1 tokens, I think it's going to be a challenge for them to catch up. But um, kind of rolling right into our next thesis here, Alt L1s are not going to completely go away. And you can see that with Solana just the last few weeks. It was comically oversold um, for the ecosystem. I'm just going to flip to another slide here because I just wrote a piece on it. And this is the amount of wallets here um, on active wallets on Solana. And you can see after FTX, it actually really didn't drop off. And you know, you had this bonk airdrop, whatever. You had a positive Vitalik tweet which hits the flywheel and it gets people going back up again and, and investing and exploring the ecosystem. But even if you exclude all of that, you just see that you know the ecosystem really didn't lose as much as people thought it did when FTX collapsed. Um, so you know, I think you know, just on the valuation metrics perspective, you know, all the green here for Solana, it's still undervalued. If you look at active users, transactions, stablecoin volume, um, you know, TVL is not great, but on a fundamental basis, Solana compared to many of these other protocols is really still, uh, you know, sort of, sort of well undervalued. So I'm interested to see how that ecosystem grows, especially as we get SMS, uh, you know, Neon, which is the EVM um, for Solana. That's going to be, you know, great for user adoption. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this, and I mean, I had my doubts that Solana was going to quite, quote unquote survive in the midst of it, sort of with the emotional opinion that everyone had. But there became a point where it was comical, as you said. And it's very interesting, actually, to look at that chart and see <clears throat> that the wallets didn't fall off. I don't think people knew that. And so this is just yet another case of just price getting wrecked with value not really changing that much. And it, it's kind of like this is the biggest baby being thrown out with the FTX bathwater that we've seen. Like Solana was not like, yes, Sam was a fan of Solana, but Solana didn't exist because of FTX. Yeah, exactly. Um, and all it just uh, Solana's like got a weird account structure, and you're only supposed to look at certain types of accounts and transactions, and all this data is controlled for that. So even controlling for all the intricacies of Solana, um, it still is is looking fairly attractive. Uh, also, you know, Cosmos, no surprise here. Also bullish, bullish Cosmos, as I hit on before. I will point to just how brutal this <laughs> drop off was. This is Terra. Uh, this is TVL, 25 billion down to like 3 billion after Terra collapsed. So thoughts and prayers, but, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bounce back in, uh, in 2023.
Right. And that brings us to more L1s, right? Here, we're up to 15 in continued consolidation of L1s here. Yeah. So uh, continuing on that theme. So I think it's really going to be Ethereum, Cosmos, BNB, and Solana are going to really dominate uh, 90% plus market share in this year as the investment continues to grow there, as the builders start to consolidate. If you're building you know, on a new chain, like I mentioned, you'll probably explore Aptos and Sui because you can get some incentives and maybe you find something in there and maybe they find a nice application there. But if I think that the ecosystem could potentially completely collapse, like it's really hard for me to have a lot of investment in those ecosystems. So I think a lot of um, you know, the TVL and a lot of the growth is gonna continue to consolidate on L1s. Cool, I think everyone agrees uh, I'll skip this one. NFTs keep going beyond PFPs. I got some lazy lions bags. I'd yeah, love to Star, Starbucks, BMW, Reddit. I think yeah, I yeah. think everyone agrees that regardless of like what a pudgy penguin is worth, that the actual utility of NFTs is going to continue to expand and be adopted by large companies. Absolutely. Um, next one. So DAO adoption. I, you know, I think DAO governance is still an absolute mess. Uh, it's clunky. Even the best DAOs don't do it well. You know, we need better tooling. We need coordination models and people just need the time to figure that out. Um, I don't think we're going to be there in 2023. It's probably a 2024 story. Uh, that doesn't mean that Uniswap goes down, um, but it means probably all the other DAOs are sort of stuck in the mud for a while. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, institutional adoption uh, is a narrative, is a meme. I don't think it's going to be uh, all at once in 2023, but I think a lot of uh, institutions will use this as a time to actually start to invest and acquire protocols and, um, you know, acquire good tech um, because it just makes sort of business sense for them. You know, there's $5.5 trillion in sort of intermediaries in the legacy finance system. You know that is revenue for all of those companies. They understand a lot of that is going to be squeezed. The margins are going to compress, and it's time to get in on that while while assets are on the cheap. So I don't think you've really seen a lot of uh, sort of traditional finance companies, um, you know, pull back from investment. And behind the scenes, I know a lot of them are sort of doubling down. You know, talking to Fidelity and others, they're expanding headcount rather than sort of contracting um, yeah. headcount. Interesting. I mean, on November 15th, I, I just happened to pull it up. I tweeted this. Wall Street is going to sweep in and buy up our entire industry for pennies on the dollar. Watch. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I still fully believe that. I mean, I'm hearing rumblings at you know, 0.72. And we've obviously seen uh, what BlackRock is doing in the space. But LD, I think that uh, one of my narratives maybe for 2023 and 2024 is going to be very large distressed asset funds from Wall Street buying up miners and protocols and stuff for pennies on the dollar, kind of as you alluded to there. I like that. Yeah, I think that's that's natural and it makes sense. Given the range of opportunities that they have at the moment to distress in my prior career, I worked with a lot of distressed debt investors with interest rates this high. It's really challenging to, to meet the hurdle rate that they're looking for. So they have yeah, to start sort of legging out as yeah. well. Um, so crypto adoption number 19 here continues to be a non-US story. And, uh, you know, this is sort of unfortunate, but if you look at sort of chain analysis, you know, the top companies with the top countries of crypto adoption, Vietnam, Philippines, Ukraine, India, you know, US is on here, but, you know, you look at the other countries, Pakistan, it's, it's all, it's all countries with, you know, corruption, high cost to transfer dollars. We still live in a dollar based world. And, you know, the cost to actually transfer dollars is six to 10% outside the US, sometimes even higher. So you know, it's really a simple use case. Hey, stable coins make, uh, you know, crypto useful. And that is going to continue to be the case outside the U.S. And Tron has built a business on this. If you look at Tron's, um, you know, actual transaction metrics, it's basically a chain to transfer Tether at cheap costs. So that's that. That's going to continue. Um, 
hopefully we can get regulation right in the U.S. and we bring a lot of it back on shore. But uh, huh. you know, it's, okay, bad number twenty. <laughs> web Web two devs moving to Web three. Uh, tons of layoffs in Web two. I don't think a lot of people are uh, are missing the headlines there. You get a lot of um, you know chains that are adding Rust compatibility. Also, Move is very similar to Rust. That's a great Web two language that. You know, I think Jack Dorsey himself called the perfect language. So a lot of these devs are going to start to move over and think about Web3, especially they're like, you know, um, you know, they may not be bought into the crypto ethos, but, you know, they start to think about, hey, I can get some upside incentives here. I can't get in Web2 anymore, uh, especially as you get many of the you know, new graduates who are crypto curious um, are, are able to sort of jump in. And this is last year's Electric Capital Report. You know, we only have 20,000 Web2 developers, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, so I think we're going to 5x that this year. Uh, next one, I think Yago is going to love. I know he was railing on me last time I was on because I was saying self custody is, is not as uh, is not all it's cracked up to be. But you know, I think this year we're going to actually see um, more self custody because of the primitives that are sort of behind the scenes and making it easier. A lot of the things I kind of was was echoing. Uh, you know, if you used Argent or one of those other new wallets, they're definitely easier than kind of using a MetaMask. And you know, I've also seen you know. And and I was just gonna say, and, and I mean Ledger hiring now the name I'm I'm blanking on obviously, but the the uh, you know creator of the iPod or designer of the iPod and their new device that you can look at clearly we're going to make a huge step this year in UX UI for self custody. Yeah, absolutely, and you've seen Dex volumes just spike, right. uh, you know, this year because of that. So um, no no surprises there. Flipping, let's do it. This is fun oh, of the year. Let's go. Prediction at twenty two. Let's go. I think it's simple. It's a flows argument. And um, a few people have, have, have sort of made this uh, this point, but I think it's really powerful to see that miners are selling 100% of their coins. So if you just look at this chart here, this is the Bitcoin miner summary for last year. These 10 miners, the top 10 miners sold essentially their entire stack of Bitcoin that they mined in 2022. If you're selling billions of dollars of assets a year, that is just a natural flow-based, um, you know, headwind for the asset. Ethereum does not have that headwind anymore post the merge, and you've seen this divergence, uh, you know, so far. You know, you would think if we're in a risk-off environment in sort of equity world, Bitcoin would naturally lead the charge versus Ethereum, but Ethereum is outperforming Bitcoin. Um, you can see that in the ratio. So. You know, I really think this is going to be the year that, especially as we hit the back half of the year, as we get the bull market and you see those flows really start to compound, you're going to have, um, you know, a flipping in terms of uh, in terms of the, the ratio there. Please no Bitcoin maximalist watch this stream today. You guys can just skip this one and come back tomorrow. Just, just at me. Just send, just send me. And my, I see my notifications going up, so I'm sure I, I didn't say Listen, I don't know about the timing. And honestly, the flipping narrative to me is like, I've said this many times. I view Bitcoin as kind of a separate asset class from all the rest anyways. So it's sort of like, would I care if Amazon flipped gold? No, like, or if Google Alphabet flipped gold? No, but I, I know that it's very triggering to a lot of people. But market cap is a very simple metric and doesn't tell a whole story. But we can go on. It, the MEV becomes a primary source of revenue. First of all, I, I think a lot of people don't know what MEV is. So can you just go ahead and tell them? Yeah, it's um, maximal extractable value. It used to be minor extractable value. It's essentially the profit for opportunities like you know front running and sandwich attacks and things like that. Um, that uh, you know you could find by exploiting transactions on chain. You know you have this mempool where you basically uh, signify your intent to do a transaction. Someone sees that and they say, "Oh, I could do this transaction faster." They pay a little more for it and they capture. 
um, you know, some value there. So, you know, if you just look at the revenue for Ethereum, it's essentially, uh, you know, transaction fees and MEV. And over time, as transaction fees come down, a lot of it's just going to be MEV. Um, and as transactions go up, MEV opportunities become more and you're able to, uh, you know, potentially route that back to validators. Um, and if you are a wallet provider who's, you know, running your or pointing um, your service to your own set of nodes, you actually could potentially provide some of that MEV value back um, to users of your wallet and subsidize it. That's an opportunity. Um, there's a theme in 2023 that I think we could see emerge as well as sort of like wallet wars. So, you know, MetaMask versus others. And one these this could be one of the avenues they compete on um, is, is sort of providing rebates or providing, uh, you know, fees back to customers. 24 is interesting. Fundamentals matter again. I like the again part. We could have just let it left it at fundamentals matter because I don't remember the time when they mattered before, but I like it. <laughs> maybe maybe that was a dream of mine. Um, so you see, this is like this is like hilarious. Just looking at this, I it, it's a little sickening as well. I mean, you have Doge, Shiba, Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, all in the top twenty right now. Solana obviously is is way up since I took this screenshot. Um, but I think we start to take out some of this trash. I mean, you have probably saw some sort of meme premium here for, for Dogecoin or whatever, but like, is Dogecoin really the eighth most valuable cryptocurrency? Uh, you know, probably, probably not. Um, well, hopefully not <laughs> going forward. So, um, you know, hopefully things change there. Um, next one. So mobile, I think a lot of people are bearish on mobile and think it is, sort of a joke that Solana phone hasn't really sold that much yet, but I think many people are looking at it the wrong way. You know, most users today uh, of the internet use their phone. I mean, 56% here, percent of, of, of mobile, uh, percent of uh, internet traffic globally are phone users. So, you know, providing an easier user experience um, on your phone for crypto and also for developers to develop applications on the phone is extremely important if we want to actually uh, build more users, more developers, more adoption. So I think the Solana phone is not going to be like this, oh, wow moment, but it's gonna be this uh, for users, but it's gonna be this, oh, wow moment for developers. Like, oh, I can build these interesting things. Oh, it's, um, you know, my wallet's already natively in the phone. Uh, you know, great, I can build this, uh, you know, new layer on top of it. And then you're gonna see a lot of, um, you know, protocols and chains sort of follow suit to try to think about ways to, uh, to tap into that. So I think Solana Mobile is gonna be just sort of an eye-opening moment for the industry of how we can sort of progress forward. Perfect. I mean, that took a lot of thinking and work, I would imagine. Those are pretty bold predictions. Hot takes, that's it. No, uh, no I think there, um, there's definitely, if you look at the numbers, some of them are a bit bold. I didn't uh, you know, cover the numbers here, but um, you know, I think a lot of them are already started moving in the right direction, which is nice to see. You, know, you have liquid stake of derivatives, you have Solana bouncing, you have a lot of people interested in Cosmos, but it's going to be a long year. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the predictions um, you know, hinge on macro clearing up at some point in 2020. Yeah, literally all of this is moot if like number one uh, goes goes bad and is delayed six months, right? I mean. Not not to put you on the, the, the spot, but what um, do you have any sort of predictions that are top of mind for you for uh, 2023 that? Um, well, I definitely don't think we're going to see QE the back half of the year. The only thing I... I I, I don't have any particular hot takes. I actually agree with a lot of what you said. I just think getting the timing is very difficult. Um, yeah. Uh, I, 
I would maybe be surprised if we get the bull market starting again aggressively in Q3 and maybe not Q4 and leaning into 2024 and kind of the election year and stuff because the Fed has remained so just insanely sort of hawkish in their tone. So I think unless something like seriously breaks, I think we might just I think it might be a more boring year than uh, some of these predictions lead to. But if that means they come true three months later, I don't think that that is meaningful. Right. So for me, maybe I just like I'm a little more pessimistic on the timing. But totally fair. Uh, You could extend these predictions maybe into first half of 2024. And I don't think they're uh, directionally unreasonable, but um I've been hoping for quick pain in the equity markets for the past six months. And I think we're just kind of just like drawing it out and the fed is yeah, trying to make it happen and no one is, uh, just, you know, just, just capitulate uh, already. But I, I think you've literally touched on every <laughs> single thing I would have, uh, highlighted, you know? Um, and I mean, if all of these came, came, came true, we'd be well on our way to a hundred grand Bitcoin <laughs> in 2024. From, uh, yeah, well, we'll see. I know the, the last one, uh, bonus one here is we're going to be, less uh looked down upon on the christmas and thanksgiving parties of 2023 and that's the uh, only prediction that matters man can can we just get to the point where people don't hate us and laugh at us all the time grandma's not asking are you are you okay are you you everyone i I get the the check-ins i'm like yeah i'm fine i'm I'm still i'm here it's fine are you okay you have you own meta asshole like to my friends you know like come on How's your Tesla stock doing you know like it's it's sort of i i still hate the dis ingenuous sort of tone about crypto and everything is in a bear market ethereum outperformed tesla in 2022 just just yeah, that money probably it basically well there we have it guys tom dunleavy so first where can everybody uh, follow you you're dunleavy 89 on twitter but where can everybody sort of access this data read the larger report from masari all those things Masari.io theses is free, uh, 160 or so pages that are uh, better spelled out and have better charts than you can see here on the little screen. So find it there and you can find all my work there as well. Awesome. Well, tomorrow, guys, uh, we're going to have, obviously, the roundtable on Thursday. I know for a fact we have Bill Barheit and Mark Yusko joining. So that's going to be amazing. Uh, Tom, you're welcome back anytime. We should do this regularly. I like how you, I don't know, like actually think about things before you take them and predict them. So Sometimes. That's helpful. I, I, endless alpha here. I can see in the comments that everybody really enjoyed it. So guys, I will be back tomorrow. Please, please follow Tom. Do it. Just follow him. It's easy. You, you just click the button. Very easy. And that's all I got for you guys today. I will see you all tomorrow. Peace. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys.